Welcome to Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders. Brought to you by SATC Solution Center, L3C. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. I'm Nathan Loverich, a legal assistant with SATC and one of the hosts of the podcast. And I'm here today with Michael Edwards, president and CEO of the Chicago Loop Alliance. Michael, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Oh, it's great to be here, Nathan. Thank you. Yeah. I'm really excited to chat with you about your work with the Chicago Loop Alliance and its impact on our community. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to start with a little bit about your background and actually what brought you here. I believe you're from the Buffalo area. Is right. That Buffalo, New York. Great city. Yeah. So does that make you a hockey fan? Uh, yeah. Big hockey yeah. fan. Yeah. Yeah. Kane is actually from Buffalo. Yeah. Um, I know. We, I have a friend from Buffalo and he's all about it. He yeah. loves hockey. You know, oh, yeah. he's like the guys. And the, the Sabres are not a very good team, <laughs> but people love them still. Yeah. That's interesting. So what was life like in Buffalo for you as a young person, sort of as you're uh, thinking about getting into college and kind of growing up, what was it like for you there? Uh, uh, it was wonderful. It's a, it's a great town, a great city. You know, it's a, a third-tier city. It's had lots of economic challenges as I was growing up. Um, that was just sort of what the city was going through. Um, went to college at Canisius College, thought I was going to be an accountant, and um, uh, began getting involved in political science. And okay. uh, with the political science degree, I thought I'd be a political science teacher in my professor said, no, you're not going to make any money doing that, and it's going to take forever for you to actually become a teacher or a professor. Why don't you go to school to be a um, city manager? And uh, so I went to graduate school at the University of Pittsburgh and uh, got a degree, a master's in public administration. I thought I would run a municipality, a city, whatever, Mm -hmm. and uh, really noticed all of the urban planners on the other side of the uh, building and really enjoyed what they were doing in terms of building cities. And so that's how I got involved and and got interested in the notion of uh, building great downtowns. Yeah. And so tell me about your downtown growing up. Did you have a lot of interaction with uh, the downtown community and the businesses? Or do you remember what what that was like for you? Well, probably like most of your listeners, um, there's always those memories of your grandparents, not my case, my grandparents, you know, taking the uh, the uh, the bus downtown. We'd never take a bus downtown, but go downtown at Christmas time and do the shopping, and mm-hmm. it was just magical. And even in the late '60s, early '70s, downtown Buffalo was still pretty robust. Of course, all of that's changed as as it has in many cities across the country. Um, but that was a magical time, and you know, filled with great memories. And I've always sort of wanted that for the city of Buffalo and other cities ever since. Yeah, so that drives a little bit about why you do what you do. Absolutely. You Absolutely. want other people to feel that same way that yes. you did. Yes. Interesting. Um, so getting your career started, did you know that this is what you wanted to do? You wanted to be a part of revitalizing and planning for downtown communities? Or? Well, sort of yes and no. So uh, no in the sense that um, all of my uh, friends that were graduating were becoming city managers. And at 24, I couldn't imagine negotiating a police union contract <laughs> at 24. And so I, I kind of took a step aside from city management and got involved in uh, urban revitalization. And I, my first job was a very small, 4,500 people, historic town up on the border of Lake Erie. The name of it is, is um, it's outside of Erie, Pennsylvania. It's called Northeast. And it was basically what I'm doing here in Chicago on a much smaller scale. Okay. And 
you had an opportunity to really impact the future of the downtown, got to work with some great people that were investors, and um, just was captivated by, by it, and it's been my career ever since. When we think of the Northeast, we often think of New York, obviously, mm -hmm. biggest city in the U.S., and so a lot of people are probably familiar with New York and its downtown or its really vibrant community. Um, what about the Northeast don't people really know that you find really interesting or that really captivated you while you were there? Well, um, when I was working in Northeast Pennsylvania, which is, again, a very small town, my goal was to get back to Buffalo and mm. become the mayor of Buffalo. <laughs> okay. Um, and, of course, that did not happen, but I did get a chance to go back and work uh, on the fringe of downtown Buffalo in a city called Lackawanna, New York. And so this would be, you know, adjacent to the downtown, steel town, dying steel town. And uh, we did a lot of economic development kinds of programs, job creation kind of programs, lots of New York State incentives. And uh, that was a, a real learning experience and really put me in a position to finally get to be uh, the director of Buffalo Place, which is a group very much like the Chicago Loop Alliance, where we were managing downtown Buffalo in 19, I got there in 1995. And so there's a lot of challenges, it sounds like, in what you're doing, not just with the city management trying to do a lot of different things, but even um, working in an area, in an industry that's been very hard hit by the economic times. And so for you in kind of facing those challenges, what was it like for you to go to work every day knowing that it was really an uphill battle to try and right. you know, get back to what it used to be? Right. Well, the demographic changes and the sort of the economics of, the, of downtown Buffalo you know, were such that we really didn't have an impact. But where we could have an impact is, is programming downtown. And so unlike Chicago, which is a working downtown, you know, people there's just activity because it's yeah. just part of what Chicago's all about. In many smaller cities, and this is years ago, it's it's changed, you really had a program, and your downtown was really an event place. Right? Okay. It was still the center of the region, and so we would put on something called Thursday at the Square, and this was essentially a concert series. and um, it, But it would attract 10,000 people, and it got so popular that people in the suburbs began to come downtown for it. You know, it was cheap beer, great music, the bands that we got were either up and coming, uh, like 10,000 Maniacs were there like the year before it hit. A lot of bands from Canada would come down that were real popular in Canada. And it was just a great urban event, but it was mm -hmm. a programmed event. Mm -hmm. And then after that, everybody would go home and you know it was still kind of a languishing downtown. But groups like ours do interventions like that, and you do enough of them and you begin to change people's attitudes about what downtown's all about. As you're talking, I'm kind of thinking about something that uh, friends have often mentioned to me because in sort of uh, this younger generation, everyone is a creative, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're yep. here recording a podcast. You right. can open YouTube and see, you know, anyone kind of mm -hmm. create their own channel and make their own content. And so we talk a lot about creatives. And one of the things that my creative friends have always shared with me is that everyone is creative in some way. Mm -hmm. And as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, man, you must be pretty creative or you must have had to be pretty creative to do what you're doing and to sort of think of new things and revitalize old things. Did you kind of see the, your creativity blossom in that role? Uh, yeah, or? I think so. It was both leading and reflective of what was going on in cities across America. So I was in Buffalo just for a very short time, um, you know, as a young professional, kind of messed up a little bit and moved on. 
and learned a lot. And so went out to Spokane, Washington, small town, 200,000 people, great downtown, the other side of the state. It's nowhere near Seattle. It's almost in Idaho. Yeah. There's two mountain ranges on either side of it. So it was, in some ways, a much more uh, dense and attractive downtown because you couldn't go out of it in the wintertime because there's like real mountains that close, that kind of thing. Yeah. So it had a very vital downtown, and we were able to do some pretty interesting things. And this is when Richard Florida book, The Creative Cla- the Rise of the Creative Class, came out. And so we actually invited Richard Florida to come to Spokane, and it was a bit like a concert in that... We had a stage in the middle of the street. We closed the street. He would speak about the issues of creatives, and then he'd get off stage for a while, have a couple of drinks, and a band would play, and people would have a little party. And then he'd come back up, and he'd talk a little bit more about creatives. And the notion of creatives really opened up small cities to the notion that talent is going to come to cities that are attractive. And so that's really what's happening now is – it used to be you had to come to Chicago to get a job, right? Because that's, but now because of technology, you could actually be a creative in Spokane. For mm-hmm. example, my wife is a, an attorney. She works out of a, a Chicago office, but she reports to a Spokane. She's really, uh, uh, all, of her, all of her work is really out of Spokane, Washington, right? Okay. So technology allows you to be where you want to be, which makes smaller cities much more um, uh, accessible. Yeah. And with millennials and the student debt that they have now, they've become a much more attractive place for people to go. So Nashville is hopping, Austin's hopping. Right. You know, lots of these sort of smaller cities are really, you know, kind of coming up fast. Yeah, I, I know that Chicago is a very transient city. People come and go pretty easily. And I think that we kind of see if it's not working in one city, it's easy to just go and move to another mm-hmm. one and try it there. And I don't know if it's always been like that, but I, I know that I have friends moving all the time because a lot of these cities are more accessible. And not only that, but you say, okay, well, if Spokane can't offer me this, there's a way that they can kind of substitute it with that, or there's a way mm-hmm. that I can still get that, even though it may not be physically in this space. Right, right, right. So when I was in Spokane, one of the creative things that I think we did is that it's a beautiful place. If no one's been there, they should check it out. Um, very accessible um, and surrounded by natural beauty and trails. Mm-hmm. Uh, biking trails, hiking trails. Spokane River is a beautiful river. It's not the classic uh, uh, Western river, but it is white water. And so from a creative point of view, we wanted people to re- re-engage with it. It was sort of a back door. And so we um, got some boats and uh, we invited mm, about 20 politicians that would actually be able to find funds at the state of Washington. And we, we went down the river. We went five miles down the river it's the first time any of them had been in the river. Yeah. And now the Spokane River is sort of the center of what's going on in downtown. And you can be in the Davenport Hotel and literally be in the river. In, you can walk to it. And when you come back from the river, you're still soaking wet coming back into the lobby of the Davenport Hotel. <laughs> and that's a really visceral way to experience the downtown and the outdoors at the, sort of the same time. So it's connecting these different areas of... And it's kind of like what's going on in Chicago. So we saw kayakers in the river this morning. Right. And it's like, who would have thought you'd be able to do that, you know, five years ago? And now it's like kind of you have to have it if you're going to be a competitive city. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, Tell me about what was different moving from East Coast, sort of Pennsylvania, out to 
Spokane? What was really different? For well, you? you know, I thought that you move out west and everybody loves nature and, you know, they're all about ecology and, you know, sustainability. Not so. They drive big cars, <laughs> big trucks. They drive fast. They drive everywhere. And, um, and it's very much, very much more um, private property oriented. And in the state of Washington, for example, you cannot provide any incentives for development. Um, it's called gift of public funds, can't do it. So all the ways that we finance things here in the East and in the Midwest currently, you can't do it there. So everything that's happening in the state of Washington and Seattle is market driven, right? There's no subsidies, there's no TIF financing, mm -hmm. there's none of that stuff. Um, I'm sure they find ways to kind of get around that law, but it really stops a lot of, so you have to have a good idea. Yeah. And it, the idea has to really make sense. And so that, that was a big difference uh, when I got out there. Yeah, that would really challenge you to think outside the box there and yeah, totally. to really totally. come up with something new. Right. That's really right. interesting. Uh, so you're in Spokane. You're working, doing the mm -hmm. similar job, but mm -hmm. in a different place. So I told my wife, who's from Pittsburgh, I said, uh, let's go out to Spokane. Our kids were little. It'll be an adventure. And if the similar job in Pittsburgh ever opens up, I said, I'll apply for it and we'll move back. So we were in Spokane for seven years. The Pittsburgh job came open. I got the job, so we moved back. My wife always wanted to be an adult in her hometown. And so we moved back to Pittsburgh, which is a great city. I don't know if anybody's been there. It's fantastic. And so I ran, again, the same program, the same downtown program that we had in Spokane, same thing I'm doing here. And it was all about clean and safe and making the city beautiful and being creative. Mm -hmm. So when I got to Pittsburgh, this is going to sound a bit dated, but um, we put in a, uh, a uh, mesh Wi-Fi system for the, all of downtown. So free Wi-Fi all through downtown. Wow. We got five foundations to get the money together. And it cost $350,000. And all of a sudden, everybody could get Wi-Fi. And this is like when Wi-Fi was not that accessible as it is now. And um, it wasn't so much that we did that. It was just how fast it got done mm -hmm. that people were impressed. And that allowed the organization to become a bigger player in the future of, of, uh, of the downtown in Pittsburgh. And while a much more respected group, uh, much more, a, a bigger player in Pittsburgh, smaller city, than Chicago Loop Alliance, where I am now, is in Chicago, much bigger city. Yeah, I actually had never been to Pittsburgh up until a few years ago, and then I visited, and it really is a cool city. Uh, I, you know, you've seen on TV probably, the bridges and right. you know the, the, the three sports rivers. stadiums, yeah. baseball stadium, three river stadium, um, and, and so I've seen it, and it kind of looks a little dark. I I believe they filmed uh, the Dark Knight Rises. They did. Or they did. There, they did. and so you kind of get that same yes. sort of feeling here in Chicago sometimes, mm -hmm. where it's a lot of so steel. It could be a, yeah, a little overwhelming. Um, yeah, if, from an urban design point of view, but everything's on. Everything's on the point, so the three rivers, the Ohio, the Monongahela, and the Allegheny all meet there at the point. Okay. And so they call it the Golden Triangle, which is downtown, and it's very compact. And uh, the buildings aren't near as big as the ones in Chicago, but, but there's a lot of density and the streets are very narrow. And so it does have this really urban sort of metropolitan feel in certain areas. And it's actually two grids, uh, two different grids that are kind of smashed together okay. into a triangle, which makes the street system very chaotic, very chaotic. <laughs> but you definitely have to visit the Andy Warhol Museum totally, because totally. that was something that I really 
totally. I really loved and would go back to mm-hmm. again because I think it was really cool and mm-hmm. it was really neat to sort of get inside his mind a little bit and someone that I actually didn't really know much about before we visited, but yeah. it was pretty neat. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, a great, it's a great museum. Yeah. So how is that for your wife, being back home and getting to, as you said, be an adult in her city? Uh, she loved it. I mean, we would go out to lots of different restaurants. Of course, her family's there, so it was mm-hmm. a, lot more, a lot closer to her family. Our kids were five and, five and eight, and so they grew up in Pittsburgh then for the, the next five or six years. Yeah. Uh, it was wonderful. It was great. We to- she got a job in downtown. We took the train downtown, um, and uh, it was good. It was good. Good, good. So then you're in Chicago now. Yeah, I, I believe you came from Pittsburgh to Chicago. Yep. So yep, correct. Something had to. So draw we you right. Away. So we uh, so the again career wise, you know, you make career choices. So um, uh, Mary's firm, when we left Spokane, Mary had a firm, a law firm, and so uh, the law firm called her back and said, "Hey, we're doing really great. Mm-hmm. You know, you should come back." And we really love Spokane. And uh, so I was talking to the mayor in uh, Spokane about becoming involved with their economic development effort. And she said, sure, yeah, come back. So I was doing some contract work for the city of Spokane. She was running for office. Mary reestablished herself with the firm. And um, the mayor didn't win. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was uh, sort of not part of the new mayor's program. And uh, so I was, this is 2011. And uh, so I was, you know, out looking for work. Um, was offered a position in Toronto, and the Chicago came in about the same time. And so we're very happy to be here in Chicago. Yeah. And that was 2012. Okay. And you found work through the Chicago Loop Alliance? Mm-hmm. They were doing a search, and okay. um, they were looking for... Uh, they had a great uh, executive director that actually uh, left to, to run downtown Singapore. <laughs> So Ty, you know, Ty Taving's an amazing guy and did some really great work. And so I was pleased to be able to step into his shoes and uh, assume the responsibilities of it at the Chicago Loop Alliance. And, and at the time, the CLA had a, in my opinion, had a, a good program, but not a great program. Mm-hmm. And so we, since then, we've added uh, safety ambassadors out on State Street. Um, we've enhanced the clean team. Um, and so we're providing those more basic services that you sort of have to do if you expect people to do anything else in your downtown. Yeah. Uh, I get to live and work downtown uh, here in the loop. So I definitely appreciate and, and see, you know, the yellow vests, the yellow jackets mm-hmm. of the, the Chicago Loop Alliance employees that are right. going around. And, and as you said, not just picking up trash, but sort of helping guide Yep. people and, and just kind of creating some calm in what right. can be a pretty chaotic <laughs> totally, area. Totally. So we have counters up on State Street, pedestrian counters. And so we're at our high season. Usually it's Lollapalooza weekend, but um, we'll have two million people on State Street in a week. Wow. Yeah, it's called a gated count. And uh, it, get, it gets down as low as 15, 1.5 million in the winter, uh-huh. and then it gets up to about 2 million. So there's a lot of people on the street every day. So our banners are effective in promoting all of the different things that are going on. We have lightscape along, audio and visual uh, lighting along the street. And we have uh, you know, lots of signage to welcome people to, yeah. uh, to the loop. Can you tell me about some of the benefits that maybe we don't see that the Chicago Loop Alliance provides, not just to tourists, but to people who do live or work in mm-hmm. the loop area? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we provide a lot of different services that are often 
seen or thought to be city services. So the whole idea of a special service area, and there are 50 of them around the city, so if your listeners are driving around or walking around and you see banners that say SSA and a number oh, on okay. them, that's a different SSA. And what that means is that those property owners in that area have agreed to tax themselves at, an, at a higher rate in exchange for an enhanced level of service. So the city of uh, Chicago does do landscape plantings around the city, yeah. uh, street plantings, but on State Street, we do them. And so all of the flowers that you see uh, in, the, in the plantings, they're changed out four times a year, they're maintained every night, we do that. Okay. On State Street, we power wash all of the sidewalks every week when, when it's not freezing. Um, we shovel the snow on State Street uh, in the wintertime. Uh, we have uh, the pedestrian counters that I mentioned earlier and share all of that information with brokers that are helpful in them leasing up spaces so that mm -hmm. spaces don't sit vacant very long. Um, we also have what we call our placemaking initiatives, and so people may be a little bit more familiar with these. Some of them are kind of a physical improvement. So there's a median in the middle of State Street up by the Witt Hotel between Lake and Wacker, and people have probably seen umbrella tables, chairs and tables in there. Um, before, it's called placemaking, before there about six people would be in there at any one time when there was no chairs or tables. Well, guess what? People like to sit down. People like to kind of own their own chair. So we put individual chairs and tables in there. Now there's some colorful umbrellas in there. And we'll get 40 to 50 people at lunch just enjoying themselves in the middle of State Street, really enjoying the urban environment. Uh, so that's an example of placemaking. Something that your, guests, your listeners probably know about is um, something called Activate. And so this is to get people to think about the loop beyond nine to five. And so in, mostly in alleys, almost exclusively in alleys, we will essentially um, put in a event. And so it typically has four elements. One is local art, two, uh, beer and wine, three, some kind of interesting lighting, um, and four, uh, music. We get 2,000, 3,000 people to show up to one of these once a month, four times a summer, uh, June through September. And uh, the last one, we had 3,000 people, and uh, we sold a lot of beer. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea is, and it, it's from 5 to 10, and it's a, it's a way for people, whether you're in a suit or you got piercings, you're gay, straight, black, white, doesn't matter. It's the diversity of Chicago that is celebrated there. And uh, it's really something that we're extremely proud of because it's, it's a way to invite people to enjoy the loop that aren't just people who work here. Yeah. Um, and for people who work here just to stay a little bit longer. So from an economic development point of view, if we could get, there's 325,000 people that work in, in downtown Chicago. To us, if we could get 10% of those, 32,000 people, to buy one more beer or one more dinner, you know, once a week downtown, that's real economic development. That helps all of our member restaurants and everybody else. And so that's the kind of economic development that we do. We want to make the place so compelling that you don't want to leave. And you want to get in your car or train or however you get here. And you want to come down because there's stuff going on. Yeah. Right? It used to be people, and this goes all the way back, we always thought that in Buffalo, if people are asking what's going on downtown, like that's no good. What, what we want people to say is, let's go see what's going on downtown. Mm. The assumption has to be that there's something going on. And in, in struggling cities, it's hard to create that. Chicago, it's not hard to create that. We're just trying to augment that. 
because there's so many great things going on. Yeah. You mentioned a little bit about what you do for brokers and trying to get retailers mm-hmm. and um, restaurants, shops in the downtown area. <clears throat> I saw that, you know, the, the gap space has been empty for a while mm-hmm. and there's now someone yes. in that space. So um, it seems like it's working, Right. that what you're doing is working to help make sure in this changing sort of retail economy Mm -hmm. that you guys are still working hard to get those stores in here and to make it a a win-win for both the retailers Mm -hmm. and for the consumers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I I think over the years, because I've been in this business now for 30 30 years, retail is seen as the, the use that defines whether a downtown is interesting, exciting, healthy, or not healthy. Uh, Chicago, you know, kind of wanes occasionally, um, but but it's always had great retail. Other cities that I've worked in have no retail, almost no retail, and but that's how people sort of think about whether a city is healthy or not. So you you can't buy a tie in downtown Pittsburgh, for example, um, and so people like like me across the country. There's people like me in every city in America. Uh, in New York, there's 70 groups like ours. Times Square, Grand Central Partnership, and others. Um, and so we're finding other ways for people to interact with downtown. And uh, so living, you know, is, is, is very hot now. And uh, I have a theory that you might be interested on that. And, um, and, and increasingly, you know, they're having kids, and now people want schools, and they want elementary schools and a place for people to learn downtown. And so yeah. all those things are making downtowns much more multi, multifaceted. And so with that, you're kind of drawing people in from all over, not just all over our city, but all over the country, yes. all over the world, yes. which kind of naturally drives a lot of diversity in a city that is known to be still very segregated. Yes. And so we're very big on neighborhoods here. You know, when people ask where you live, you're almost always going to answer first with your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I live in the Loop, I live in Old Town, I live right. in wherever. And so... What is that dynamic like for you and your team to sort of deal with this? The Loop is obviously uh, a very vibrant, very dynamic neighborhood, um, one that more people are moving to, more residential buildings are going up. Um, But at the same time, you know, it's very, also very affluent. It's not cheap to live here. It's not cheap to to come to shop here all the time. Well, I think here in Chicago, and I think downtown programs like ours around the world, are recognizing this uh, sort of new reality of inequality. Mm-hmm. And so we have partnered with others to try to address that issue. And so one of the you know sort of monikers of downtowns is if downtown is great and healthy, somehow the neighborhoods will be magically be great too. And I don't think that that's true. Um, I do think that it, you know it, it does happen that neighborhoods are, are left behind. So here's a couple of things that we've tried to do. One is that we're part of a group of uh, the Hotel Association, the Restaurant Association, and um, the Magnificent Mile Association, which is kind of a sister group to ours, and others, uh, with something called hospitality hires. And so people tend to think that the loop is filled with like executive level positions, but there are a ton of jobs in the loop. 325,000 people work here. They're building hotels all the time. Hospitality is an easy way for people uh, that have had challenges with education or have challenges with resources to begin a career. Mm-hmm. And so hospitality hires is really an enormous job fair. And we do it twice a year. So we do it in the spring in anticipation of the 
opening of hotels and the busy tourist season. And so I think this has gone on a couple of years. Don't quote me on these numbers. We've had 50 to 60 employers there, job fair. And then working with the Cook County workforce, they have pre-screened uh, how to take an interview, how to dress, and then 600 people come down to the Palmer House, and a lot of them get jobs. You know, three, I think the last I heard is like half of those people got jobs. And so that's a way for, to me, for downtown to reach out and be, uh, and touch the neighborhoods and benefit the neighborhoods. So that's one. The other one that we've done is with a group called Embark. But the people out in the neighborhoods that, that don't feel invited into the loop just need to be invited. And so we've uh, sponsored a couple of events where we've invited, the, in, in this case, the Embark kids in to come in and sit in our office for a couple of a couple of hours, meet some of us, so that they know kind of what we do and that these kind of jobs are available to them. And so we're encouraging our members, architecture firms, design firms, contractors, to do the same. And um, we think that's another way for downtown to begin to bridge this notion of inequality. And we're really proud of that. Yeah, and I think that's really great that you're kind of seeing that and addressing that and saying, okay, you know, Part of it's on us. We've got to be totally. accessible. We have to be uh, a place where people feel like not just that they can come and spend money in our stores, but they can come and feel like they're a part of this, Definitely. part yes. of the community, that they belong here as much as anyone else. And I think that for me is something that is really important. It, it's Anyone will let you come in and shop in their stores, or anyone should let you come in and shop right. in their stores. But to actually make you feel like you're a member of that community or like you belong there, I think that's something that takes more work, but is really worth the effort and really, right. you know, benefits everyone and makes the city better. Is mm -hmm. that when the neighborhoods are always going to be there, but when anyone feels welcomed into any one of these neighborhoods, I think that Chicago kind of benefits from that. Totally, totally. And what we've t said to our stakeholders, and, and I'm a big believer in this uh, in my career, is that enlightened self-interest can be extremely powerful. And so we're not asking them to do it out of charity because mm -hmm. it's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. it, it just isn't. But what we're saying to them is there's some really smart, motivated people, you know, just south of here, just west of here. It's in your best interest, mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. your business's best interest to hire them. Um, because they want to work. They just need an opportunity. And so it's in your interest to do it. So, okay, you're helping them out, but you're also helping yourself out. Way more sustainable. Yeah. <laughs> Way more sustainable. Yeah, that's great. That's great to hear. There are a lot of big companies, big businesses mm -hmm. in the loop. You know, obviously a lot of high-rises, uh, a lot of big retailers. But there's also small businesses, yeah. and there's also these little you know, nook and cranny type businesses right. that are great. Uh, I always tell people, if you want to come here and get a great meal or get a great dessert or get a great, you know, even a, a great gift or souvenir mm -hmm. or something, you know, check out some of these smaller retailers right. that are here. Check out some of these small business owners who only have one shop mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to me a little bit about small business ownership in the loop mm -hmm. and what they bring that is so special and unique? Right. Well, you, you said it. I mean, they, they do bring this sort of special... Um, Chicago feel, mm -hmm. uh, which is really helpful. I do think that um, small business is under strain in downtown because as prices and, and rental rates have gone up, it's become harder for them not only to stay here, but it's certainly harder for them to set up shop. 
And so we're seeing a lot of that investment on Wabash. And Wabash is becoming a pretty dynamic street, um, partly because of the new station, um, but mostly because of some of the, sh uh, the stores that have moved in there and a lot of food and beverage. Yeah. So the hottest markets right now for retail are um, pet supply, fitness clubs, and food and beverage. <laughs> I mean, they used to say food and beverage was like not retail, but like it's really blurring the line now, right? Yeah. So, um, so we're getting a lot of food and beverage downtown. The rental rates on um, State Street are still extremely high. Michigan Avenue, you know, South Michigan Avenue, south of the river, a little less than certainly North Michigan Avenue. Um, so it's hard for small businesses to set up shop. That being said, there is a trend in downtown management, again, in smaller markets, right, where the prices aren't so high and they're doing pop-up shops. So groups like ours, are arranging with property owners who tend to be our stakeholders and we'll, they'll set aside spaces and they will do an RFP. You got a business idea, you can have this space for three months, we'll subsidize your rent, come in and see if your new popcorn product sells. Mm. And some of those have turned into legit businesses mm -hmm. and uh, that's the way that they're beginning to repopulate their diverse amounts of offerings uh, at street level. We had uh, Teresa Ging of Sugar Bliss oh, yeah. She's on great. an earlier episode. And her, her really, stuff's even better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't been there, definitely stop by her, her shop. Uh, she has the big one there in the Palmer House Hotel um, on Wabash. Yes. Uh, and it's really cool to hear her story and to hear about how being a part of, of the loop has just taught her a lot and really flourished her business. And so I know that... that those small business owners do definitely appreciate what mm -hmm. you guys do to to keep the city growing and vibrant and mm -hmm. clean, obviously, um, but it's certainly made, having an impact. And so I know that we all appreciate that. Um, how has being here in Chicago and being uh, the leader of the, the Chicago Loop Alliance, how has that impacted you personally? What has that taught you maybe about you or maybe about other people? Um, What's it taught? Well, every city that I've worked in is different. Um, there's a bit of a professional social register. And so in, in Buffalo, the sort of the door to leadership was maybe half open. In Pittsburgh, it was pretty wide open. Mm -hmm. Spokane, not so open. I've had trouble finding the door here in Chicago to that, to that group. Mm -hmm. um, very dominated by a strong mayor, uh, Rahm Emanuel is a very strong mayor. You know, you, you say what you want about him, but uh, you know, he certainly got things done. You may not agree with him, but he got things done. But it was hard to, you know, uh, gain his support to even talk to him. And so you wind up talking to the folks at the bureaucracy who are great people, but they're still waiting for him to make a decision. So the, the power structure made it difficult for us to sort of be a player. There's lots of other political leaders, Alderman Riley and Alderman King are our aldermen, and they're very supportive of a strong and healthy loop. And so what, you know, what I've learned is that uh, Chicago has a different way of doing business than these other cities that I've yeah. been in. It's a little bit more politically dominated. Okay. Pittsburgh was very corporate dominated. Spokane was more corporate dominated. Buffalo was very political. Um, so that may you know, actually have something to do with the geography. Um, the interesting thing about Pittsburgh, and I, I don't think it's true here in Chicago, is that it, Pittsburgh has as many financial problems, pension issues, as Chicago does. And so in some ways, the municipal government, city government, is 
it was in receivership for years. I, mm-hmm. I think it's out of out of that. But they have funding problems. Um, they also have corporations that have stopped investing in the city because they become multinationals and they don't really have a place. But the secret sauce in Pittsburgh are the foundations. And so the, Pittsburgh was the Silicon Valley of the Industrial Revolution. And so there is a ton of foundation money in Pittsburgh that really enables the city to really kind of cover up some of these deficiencies it has in its own sort of function. And so that we did that Wi-Fi system, you know, with all foundation funds. We redid Market Square, which is this beautiful center park. Redid that whole thing with foundation dollars and some some government grants. And uh, so each city is sort of different, and Chicago's just a little more complicated. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Yeah. I guess we'll accept that. (laughs) Um, I want to talk quickly about your team. Because you obviously have a team behind you there at the CLA. I'm sure they're a great team. Fantastic. Tell me about your team a little bit. So we have a really nice mix of folks that have been there for a long time and uh, some new folks. In fact, one of our our marketing directors just started last week. Um, So Laura Jones and Abel Rodriguez have been there almost from the beginning. Laura has been there from the beginning. And so she knows where all the skeletons are. <laughs> she also knows, you know, kind of the history of decision-making and, um, and can help guide us. Abel's a fantastic CFO, very accurate, gives the board high confidence that we're financially sound, which is terrific and really depend on that. Uh, we have a planning direct, a new planning director. Uh, we'd like to move a little bit more from placemaking to more thoughtful long-term planning. And so Kalindi uh, uh, Parikh is our uh, new director of newer director of marketing and Ian um, uh, works for her and actually produces the Activate series. And then uh, Sarah Morris is our fantastic uh, event and membership person and you know she kind of knows everybody um, and uh, does a fantastic fantastic job of that. And then our new uh, our newest uh, employee is uh, Kiana Destasi who's our marketing director and uh, she came, came from the Goodman Theater. We're mm-hmm. really happy that she's there and, and uh, Jessica Cabe and Emmanuel Alou uh, work for her, and they do social media and those kind of things. They'll be real interested in this podcast. Yeah, we're really interested in them, too. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, it's a great team. Uh, And then we have this fantastic board of 47 people, and, you know, they're just – people love the loop. And, you know, I'm really impressed impressed with that. They just love the loop. And so you mentioned before you do some uh, events throughout the summer, throughout the year, really, but but we do want to – Talk for just a minute about your uh, gala that will be upcoming. Yeah. So tell me about the, is this an annual gala? So it's an annual gala. It's our major fundraiser. It's actually with our foundation, the Chicago Loop Alliance Foundation. And it raises money so that we can put on these placemaking and arts and culture initiatives that we think are important um, to make the Loop an interesting, a more interesting place. It's on uh, Friday, September 20th. And tickets are available on our, at our website, uh, loopchicago.com backslash gala. Um, it's, a, you know, it's a kind of a black tie formal. I always call them adult proms. <laughs> um, but, it's, but it's got a little bit more of an edge to it. We take a lot of what we learned at Activate throughout the year, and we, um, we kind of bring some of those artists into it. So there's always something weird and delightful that happens at the gala that you know, people come to kind of expect and they're it's a fun experience awesome i want you to leave us with a closing thought something maybe advice for people who are uh 
who are kind of getting started in their in their field or in their uh, you know coming out of college or uh, or even just someone who wants to know more about what you do just some closing thought um, that you can leave us kind of summing up what we talked about mm-hmm. today <clears throat> well I feel like one of those fortunate people um, that uh, has a job that you know, they just love. Like going to work does not feel like going to work. I forget when the paycheck arrives. I mean, it's like, oh my God, it's payday. And um, there's three things that people say they need in order to be happy. And if you have two of them, you can be happy. And one of them is your career. The second one is family and friends. And the third is location. So, so in Spokane, I love the location. We, had, we didn't have family, but we had great friends. And I love the work. I was totally happy there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in Chicago, it's very similar. Um, because it's just it, it's got all of those things. I have cousins here, um, and been, and we've and we've made friends. So, you know, as you're building your career, you just kind of want to keep those three things in mind, and mm-hmm. that, that'll help you be happier, happier. I, I did want to say one other thing. You know, I've so- talked all about these things that I and others like me have done to try to make cities better places. But my theory that I had alluded to earlier is this: that when I was growing up, I'm 59. When I was growing, you know, kind of um, impressionable, uh, Seinfeld was on. And Seinfeld was cool people doing cool things where? In downtown, in an urban setting. And prior to that, on TV every night, I got a dose of Partridge Family and the Brady Bunch, and it was all about the suburbs. message was cities are bad, suburbs are good. Seinfeld changed that. And then... All the millennials that are buying all this stuff down here, they grew up watching Friends. Yeah. Again, cool people doing cool things in an urban setting. Yeah. And in my opinion, I mean, I love what I do and I respect all of my colleagues. I think that those two shows may have done more to revitalize cities than anything that wow. we've done. And I just think that that's, I, th- I really think that that's true. I can't prove that, <laughs> but I really do think it's true. It just made people think like, oh, I could live downtown. That yeah. was kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, I like being able to walk to work every day. Yeah, <laughs> personally, that's yeah, totally. That's, that's I totally the big get advantage for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you can find the Chicago Loop Alliance and find more about what they do and uh, their events online, loopchicago.com. Obviously, all over social media, mm-hmm. uh, Chicago Loop Alliance on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. Your Loop Chicago. So you can go visit them at any one of those sites and check out what they're doing. Come be a part of it. Come down, Absolutely. shop, eat. You can dance in the summer. <laughs> I know in Millennium Park. Yeah, and totally. Yeah. You just do about anything down here. So uh, definitely check them out. If you want tickets to their annual gala, again, that's September 20th at the Hilton Chicago. And you can visit the website to get those tickets. Michael, it was great to have you here. Thank you, Thanks Nathan. so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you very much. Definitely learned a lot. Be sure to subscribe to the Bridging Chicago podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify. You can listen to us on any of those platforms. Thank you for listening, and we hope you have a great day. for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solution Center. As always, feel free to reach out to us on social media with your comments and suggestions. You can email us at solutioncenter at satcltd.com. 
Find us on Twitter and Instagram, where our handle is at BridgingChicago. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, and comment on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to this podcast. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guests. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of the SATC Solutions Center, Shank Annis Tepper Campbell, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the host and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to for use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding.